but maybe the only definition you know of Advent is a cardboard kind of cutout thing where you reach in and pull a chocolate out every day from December 1st to December 25th. Like that's the most familiarity that a lot of us have with Advent. But Advent is part of the church calendar. And when I say church, I mean big church um, that goes back for um, centuries. And it's a season. It's a season. And when you think about being a little kid at Christmas time, for most of us, once the lights started getting hung up and the tree got put up and the Christmas movies started coming on the television and the music started playing, that was Christmas for us. Like, that, that was it. And then if you remember, like, going to bed, like, at Christmas Eve, for a lot of us, that meant butterflies in our stomach and we could barely wait to wake up and we'd get up and, you know, run into the other room and oftentimes the buildup and the anticipation of Christmas was even better than the day that it happened. And even when you think of planning a trip to go somewhere, sometimes the buildup and the anticipation of what you're going to have is better than even the day itself. And so Advent, it gives us space to anticipate and to plan and to prepare for Jesus' arrival. And not just his arrival in the manger, but also to recognize he's here with us today and he's coming again. Jesus is coming again. And so this season gives us space to kind of breathe that in and let that be a part of our season and let it be intentional as we prepare him room in our hearts. And so tonight we're going to light the second candle, but we're also going to light the candle of hope from last week. And the second candle, the candle of peace. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just pray that you would show us tonight what real peace is, that your peace that surpasses all of our understanding would bring us comfort and warmth and strength in this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. It was quite a few years ago, our family, um, the kids were pretty little. Uh, Nate was 13, Megan 
was maybe eight, I think. Um, we were moving. We lived in Salt Lake area. We lived in Murray. And we were moving up north um, to Davis County. And it took us a long time to find a house. And, and we found the house and we packed up our house in Murray. And we were ready to go. And if you've ever moved, you know the stress of it, um, how much that is. And it was a lot on the kids, for sure, to be transitioning to a new school and everything. And we were ready to go, and there was a knock on the door. And it was our real estate agent. And she said, I'm so sorry. It doesn't look like you're going to be able to get this house. It doesn't look like the financing's going to come through. Um, it looks like the deal has fallen apart. And we had to be out of our house the next day. And we were like, what? <laughs> and she said, you know, get on the phone with your mortgage company, see what you can find out. Um, but things don't look good. And it was during a time where the housing market, when is the housing market not ever crazy? I should start with that. Um, but, but mortgage companies were very gun shy. And they said this house we were purchasing was an unusual property and they didn't want to fund it. And so we were in game mode. Like, what are we going to do? So I had a girlfriend. She's like, I've got a camper in my backyard. You guys can move into the camper. And it was October, so it was like, okay, it might be a, a little cold part of the time, but we should be able to make that work. And plus, we're like, it's going to be a couple days, right? Um, and then a friend of ours worked for a semi-truck place, and he's like, we can load all your stuff on the semi and we can park it in the yard um, for a while. So they came the next day. We loaded the house on the semi-truck. My car looked like, you know, well, I was essentially living out of it. My business was in the car. <laughs> Everything was in the car. Um, we pulled into my friend's backyard and, and moved into the camper. And every time we got on the phone with the mortgage company, it was more bad news and it was more tears. And it was like, what are we going to do? We don't have anywhere really to go. What's going to happen? We've got to get, I'm driving the kids 40 minutes away to school, you know, trying to figure stuff out. And I had a couple good friends, and, and they were people that loved Jesus. And they said to us, you know, it's pretty obvious God's closing the door. I don't think you're supposed to get this house. And Dave and I were like, okay. So we spent a lot of time praying and talking, and every time we thought about that house, we had peace. And we're like, no, I, I think we're supposed to move into that house. And pretty soon we had to get out of the camper, and we moved into an extended stay, and there was more bad news, but maybe a little bit of maybe something might work out. And Dave and I, in the middle of that, went to dinner one night, and we're crying and talking, and we're like, I can't shake it. I think we're supposed to live in that house. Even though it's hard and it's messy, I think God wants us in that house. And we ended up moving in that house. For three months, we were between the camper and the extended stay and situations. 
And what was so stressful and so hard and messy actually ended up being one of our kids' best times of their life. They look back on that time, and that time brought us so close together um, because it was us against the world. You know what I mean? And plus, who doesn't want to live on a pull-out couch in the camper in a backyard? But, but here's the thing. People said, you know, I don't think that can be God. He's slamming the door closed. But the difference between the peace of God's Holy Spirit versus artificial peace, which is everything in life is going well, there's a difference, you guys. And somehow in the church, we have developed this false perception that things should be going smooth if it's God's will. Right? We've developed this idea that there's no way we could be in the middle of a storm and have peace. But this is not biblical at all. In fact, if we look in the Bible, we see the very opposite of this. The peace that God offers is not dependent on our circumstance, it's found in a person. It's found in a person. If the storm was a sign that you were in the wrong place, do you know that Jesus and the disciples would never gone out in the boat? This is the reality, you guys. The story in Mark 4 of Jesus calming the storm, we hear it, it's famous. We talk about it, but there's a reason why. And so I'm going to read it to you right now. Mark 4, 35 through 41, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, This is Jesus. Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey them, obey him? God is with us, even in the middle of the storm. Since many of the disciples were fishermen, when the storm started, they probably kept calm knowing what you do in a storm. It was when it got out of control that they figured they were going to die out there. In their moment of despair, Jesus came in and calmed the storm. And he asked the disciples why they were so afraid, where their faith was. But he worked a miracle despite their lack of faith. Here's the truth, the facts. This is what I want you to know. God is working in our lives right now. Right now right now. Whether we can see it or feel it, 
or know it. He's called us to him and is working in whatever occurs in our lives for good. This is the truth that we anchor our hope to. The anchor for our boat, God's word, God's promises, God's faithfulness, it allows us to see Jesus, our Prince of Peace. We don't want to forget that Jesus is there in the boat. And listen, he does know all, every circumstance, every situation in your life. And he has all the power, and he is in control, even when everything feels out of control. The peace that God offers is not dependent on our circumstances. It's found in a person. The Apostle Paul, his life demonstrates this perfectly, you guys. It was not often that Paul was not in a storm in life. We don't see much of him just chilling out in the living room with the fireplace on, his feet up on a stool full of finances, living the American dream, right? We don't see that. In fact, we see him in situation after situation, shipwreck after shipwreck, hardship after hardship. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, how many of you know where he is writing from? Prison. He's writing from prison. And this is what he says in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, even when you're in prison, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You guys, that peace doesn't make sense in the world. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what? Paul gets to encourage us in that because he's in the middle of hardship. And these thoughts that he has, it's because he has biblical peace just like biblical hope, like we talked about last week. It's based on a person, not a circumstance and not an outcome. And he is asking followers of Jesus to be thankful and to keep our hearts and our minds focused on Jesus. We did a series one time, and the main thing, it haunts me. I still think about it all the time. It, the main thing was, where is your eye, what is your eye on in the middle of the storm? Because your eye can be everywhere. But our eye needs to be on the man in the boat. On the man in the boat. Paul knows that these habits, praying, being grateful, presenting our requests to God, they keep our eyes focused on Jesus, and in turn that will lead to experiencing that incredible peace. Four years ago, our family was in the midst of the most interesting storm. And let me say this before I share this. Please do not ever compare your storms. Do not ever compare your storms with somebody else's because I think sometimes we want to apologize for feeling like we've lived through a storm because it wasn't a category five hurricane. And I will tell you this, 
that Jesus wants to give you peace in the middle of a drizzle and in the middle of a tornado. He's not categorizing or comparing our storms. And therefore, we don't get to either. From waiting to hear a diagnosis, to getting through an exam at school, to starting counseling, to finding a job, moving to a new state, telling someone bad news, working through a conflict, a storm is a storm is a storm. So four years ago, um, my dad was put on hospice and we didn't know how long he was gonna be on hospice because nobody knows at that point. Um, And he ended up passing away the same week we were moving house (laughs) again. And so my dad passed away two days before we had to move houses. And so um, we went through a move and then it would be a few months later that Megan would get diagnosed with the brain tumor. And then we would go through the surgery, not knowing what rehabilitation was going to be like and what her long-term effects would be from that. So it was essentially like wave after wave after wave after wave. And I can tell you it was gratitude, it was prayer, and it was an intense laser focus on Jesus that got us through that time, period. That is the only thing that got us through that time. It was also a muscle that we had exercised before because we had learned through the previous situation and other situations and understood where that peace came from and what that peace felt like. We understood that we couldn't let our focus go to anything else other than the man in the boat because everything else is counterfeit. Whatever you try and get your peace from other than Jesus, if you're trying to get it from a job or a person or a situation, it's always going to leave you empty. Once you've tasted that peace that transcends all understanding because it makes no sense at all, and when your hope is anchored to God's promises, there's nowhere else to go. Everything else falls short. And everything else will let you down. But Jesus never does. He said this to us in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The world's definition of peace is the absence of war. But the biblical definition of peace is shalom. Not only the absence of conflict, but the presence of completion, reconciliation, and justice. Wholeness is what it means. So when your life needs to be restored, it needs shalom. When a relationship is broken and it needs reconciliation, you bring with you shalom. Isaiah, as we read earlier, looked forward to the arrival of a king who would be called the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. Jesus restored to wholeness 
the broken relationship between God and his creation. His reign, it would right all wrongs and heal all brokenness. In fact, the angels describe Jesus' birth as peace on earth. So as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, if that is what you consider yourself to be, we have an assignment. We are now called to receive peace, keep peace, create peace, and be a people of peace. As you are probably aware, this just doesn't happen by chance. It has to be intentional. Peace takes work. It requires humility, gentleness, patience, and love. And listen to this. As with everything in God's kingdom, you guys, it seems one of the deepest ways to receive that peace is to give it, to offer it, and to bring it with you wherever you go. So we're going to get a chance to practice right now. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of games have something called a post-game handshake. It's a tradition, right? After they engage in battle or after they conquer the other team or there's a defeat, at the end of it, they're not at war. So by a simple gesture, athletes declare they're at peace by shaking hands. Well, just like that, a lot of Christian worship services do something similar. They have something where they share the peace with one another. This is an ancient practice um, that helps us fulfill our duty as peacemakers. Like in Matthew 5, 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So this passing of the peace, it gives us a moment, no matter how brief, for our hearts, our hands, and our tongues to be put into action in the way of peace. From the beginning, Christians have exercised this practice. They've said, just like Jesus would say whenever he came somewhere, peace be with you. And the apostle Paul opened each of his letters saying, grace and peace be with you. So a lot of congregations, what they will do is they'll stand, leave the comfort of their seat, and walk over to someone and maybe grasp their hand or hug them and say, the peace of the Lord be with you. And in turn, the other person would say, and also with you. This act may seem simple or tiny, but trust me, its meaning is profound. When we extend a greeting to one another, we get to identify with Jesus who extended his life to the point of death to make peace with humanity. I know it might seem kind of weird or cause you to have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit, but I think it's okay to feel awkward. Maybe we should get a little more used to awkward. We got to practice passing the peace. I know it's hard to imagine that a handshake or a hug or a greeting could make a difference. But if I grasp Cassie's hand and say, peace be with you, and she says, and also with you, what happens in the middle of my week is I think about that handshake, and it's hard to imagine taking this hand 
and causing division or disunity in my home, at my school, at my work, because she's helped usher in the peace of God to me, the Prince of Shalom has come. So let's just take a couple minutes and stand up and go greet somebody and say, the peace of the Lord be with you and also with you. All right, you guys. Good job. Good job. All right. I'm going to go ahead and um, call the worship team up here as I get ready to close. But I want us to think about our week and the Philippians verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what if this week, with thanksgiving, we presented our requests to God and prayed in confidence for the peace of God to transcend all understanding in the middle of our storm, in the middle of our circumstance. What if we did that? And what if we helped bring that peace everywhere we went? I found this Navajo prayer online and I thought it was so beautiful. It says, peace before us, peace behind us, peace under our feet. Peace within us, peace over us. Let all around us be peace. Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ under our feet, Christ within us, Christ over us. Let all around us be Christ. Amen.